Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to jude3project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Jew 3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm so excited to bring you another special guest, um, Dr. Keith Plummer. Welcome, Dr. Plummer. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm excited. I've been following you on Twitter for a while, and uh, we both share a mutual love of apologetics. So I'm thankful to have you here to talk about a controversial topic and also to talk about your love for apologetics as well. Um, For those who haven't heard of you or don't know who you are, can you just give them a little bit of background? Sure. Uh, I am currently a a professor of theology at Cairn University, which is in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And I'm in my eighth year here where I teach a number of Bible and theology courses. Prior to that, I pastored as an associate pastor for roughly 18 years. And um, I have an MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School with an emphasis in apologetics and a a PhD from Trinity in Systematic Theology. I am married and have uh, two children, both of whom are uh, studying here at Cairn. So um, that helps. But um, yeah, that's a little bit about about me. I became a believer when I was in college, and my interest in apologetics arose out of uh, a time of very severe and intense doubt uh, shortly after coming to Christ. And maybe we can talk about that later, but that is what really uh, gave me my initial interest in the in the subject. That's awesome. So what? And before what... before we go on, because you, you got to say some things about following me. I just want to say, I have been following you, and I, I've told you this uh, privately, but I want to say it publicly. I really, really admire and appreciate the work that you are doing, and uh, just want to encourage you in that. So it's a it's an honor to, to meet you, honor to be a guest, but I wanted to let you know that I am really, really uh, appreciative of your ministry. Thank you so much, Dr. Plummer. I really appreciate it. That means a lot coming from you. Um, well, you talked about you talked about struggling with your own doubts and coming to uh, 
love apologetics through that. What were those those things that you were questioning kind of, that kind of led you to your passion in apologetics? When I became a Christian, it was through my involvement in a, a gospel choir, actually, in college, a, a student-led gospel choir that I had some friends in. And I'd always, I'd grown up singing and I loved to, to sing, but until I was saved, it was just a performance. It wasn't singing to the Lord. Um, it was singing to whatever audience was assembled before us. And after I became a Christian, I noticed a number of um, significant changes subjectively in me. First, uh, obviously, I had this sense of being cleansed uh, from a guilty conscience that I had actually been pardoned. Uh, there was uh, the realization of wickedness in, in me and that was that had come out of me that I needed uh, forgiveness for and I felt that I had. There was relief there. There was joy where there hadn't been joy before. There was an inner rest that I had not known before because I was a very restless person and there was a sense of peace but i began to wonder whether all of this was just like a, a head trip whether christianity was really true what, what i was experiencing was it because it was grounded in reality that it was it was grounded in uh, actual events or was it just a matter of well as long as i believe this gospel story I feel these things and I have these experiences, but it doesn't really matter whether or not it is true. And that sent me on a spiraling down that I describe as hellish. Because unlike before I became a Christian, where I, I was asking questions to try to poke holes in it to protect myself from its claims, now I wanted Christianity to be true, but I was wondering whether or not it was. And so I was doubting the existence of God, the authority of Scripture, uh, the possibility of the miraculous, the existence of Jesus, that if he did exist, did he really make the claims about himself that the Bible says? Um, it was a really, really tumultuous and um, a, it was a, a very disturbing position to be in. And unfortunately, many of the people that I was asking for help from about these things weren't very helpful. And it wasn't because they didn't want to be, but in many respects it was because they, they weren't equipped. And so I had people telling me to do things like confess your, your doubt to God as sin, ask him for forgiveness, go on. I did that. There was some temporary relief, but the questions were still there. And then I had other people just saying, stop thinking about those things. And um, I would have given anything to stop thinking about those things, but I couldn't. And so um, it was through what I now know is just a providential act of God, but humanly speaking, it was a fluke. I came across the work of Francis Schaeffer, and um, that was the beginning of uh, answers to some of my questions. And it was... I, I tell people that Francis Schaeffer's writings were a stream in the desert to me. Because here I was seeing someone who was taking seriously both a heartfelt passion for Jesus, but also the life of the mind, and taking seriously the, uh, the intellectual questions and philosophical questions that were just creating so much um, 
consternation, trouble for me. I could I could definitely agree with that. Uh, my story is similar going through college. Well, I, I grew up in church, uh, but it wasn't until college that I started wrestling with, with my faith and the existence of God, reliability mm-hmm. of scripture. All of those were questions for me that deeply troubled me and sent me through a very tumultuous season of my life. So I understand mm-hmm. that feeling. Uh, and so uh, Frank, what Francis Schaefer to you, uh, Ravi Zachariah's works were, were for me during that time. So I, I definitely can can understand. And I think a lot of people in, in church are in that same faith crisis. Um, yes. They may not have uh, been able, feeling like they can kind of can verbalize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people are in that same space um, in, in, and, in churches today. And related to that, in both of our both of our situations, it shows that, you know, while we often think of apologetics primarily, if not sometimes exclusively, as being directed towards unbelievers, there is a great need for apologetics as a ministry amongst believers. Because we do go through seasons of doubt. We do begin to wonder about what it is that we have given our lives to, and uh, particularly in times of, of crisis. And so I see apologetics as both an evangelistic uh, ministry, but also a ministry of love and mutual discipleship amongst believers. Mm-hmm. And I definitely agree. The, the, it's funny be, that you said that because most of the people that I get emails from are believers mm-hmm. who are wrestling with their faith, not mm-hmm. necessarily unbelievers um, who have came to know Christ through apologetics. While we've had people telling stories of people they've been able to engage, unbelievers they've been able to engage. I get letters, I mean, emails from people and messages all the time that are believers mm-hmm. telling me thank you because I was about to walk away from the faith. So yeah. <laughs> that's a valuable work. It's a valuable and necessary work. Definitely important. So uh, one of the reasons I called, uh, reached out to you uh, was to have you on to talk about something that I saw on The Breakfast Club. And for those who, who, do, who do not know, The Breakfast Club is an urban uh, radio show with uh, DJ Envy, Angelie, and Charlemagne the God. And they're very popular amongst Black millennials and Black Gen Xers. Gen Z, I think it is, yeah. Gen Z. I think we're up uh, to Z now. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen after Z. We've reached the end of the alphabet. That's right. To A. Uh, well, I guess we never started at A, but... Um, <laughs> It'll be something else. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so they were on the Black Breakfast Club talking to Carl Lentz, and Charlemagne was asking a series of questions because he uh, a series of questions he always kind of asked some controversial questions, and um, the, one of the ones he's he said the Bible is full of fake news we believe, hmm. and so Carl Lentz said, well, what is that fake news? And he was like, well, um, I, I think the li- no the lies we love is how he described it. The, the Bible is full of the lies we love. And he talked about the law and pork, eating pork. And uh, he talked about um, pork. And then the one that stood out to me was he asked about Cain's wife. No, he asked about slavery in the Bible mm. and how the Bible is used as a way to control um, African-Americans throughout slavery, which is something we've talked about here a lot uh, of Jude 3. But he also talked about Cain and where did Cain get his wife from? Um, and I thought that was interesting that he would have that question 
and apparently he's I think he said he's read through the Bible and he grew up Jehovah Witness. So mm. I think he has, you know, some tension there as well. But he asked uh, where did Cain get his wife from? And I know that that probably when people heard that on the radio, I know there's millions of black millennials and Gen Zers listening. And somebody probably thought, hmm, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Uh, mm -hmm. Because oftentimes we read the Bible, we don't read it and think through what we're reading. We just read it to read and not critically think. And so that is a valid question uh, that that many people uh, ha are struggling through. And mm -hmm. I just want to talk about it here on the G3 Project. Um, so when we think about that question, I know that was a long introduction to that thought, but <laughs> when we think about that, Dr. Plummer, what are some things that we should keep in mind thinking through? If, if you were asked that question, what are some foundational things you would lay out first before you went into that question? Well, uh, among them, I would say that um, if one takes the Genesis account as written, the, the text itself doesn't really give us any indication in terms of explicit information about Cain's wife. She comes up just kind of matter-of-factly in the text, whereas the main characters prior to this, human characters, have been Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. Then there is the, um, the condemnation of Cain's killing his brother, and then Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord, and the, the text says that uh, he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then we just have this verse that says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And so she just arises. I mean, there's been no mention of her, really hasn't been mentioned of anyone else prior to this point, which is one of the reasons that I think that this question arises. But I would say that if if you're going to take the biblical account, as I do, as saying that God um, gave rise to the human population from this original pair, Adam and Eve, then um, you've got a number of options that are before you. You can say that um, Cain's wife was another offspring of Adam and Eve. Uh, there have been some who said oh, another option would be the possibility of his having relations with his mother, Eve. And um, I think that the first of those is what we have to pretty much conclude that this was another offspring of um, of his parents, if in fact they are the original pair. Now there is something else that comes up. Um, some people might be familiar with a lot of the discussion about the, uh, gen the genome project and some of the scientific uh, pronouncements that have been made recently saying that, well, the genetic diversity that we see among the human population now could not have arisen from a single pair, and therefore they postulate um, an original community of some thou several thousands of, of people, so that there might have been uh, this other human population that did not originate from Adam and Eve. I don't uh, take that view. And if those are the options before us, then I feel like what's necessary is to infer uh, that this was another offspring of Adam and Eve. Yeah, and that's originally how I've I've looked at, that's 
well, still how I look at it today. Um, but then there's some problems that ar arise from that view because then you have the problem of incest mm -hmm. that comes up. And uh, one of the things that I we talked about pre previously pre before we started recording um, was this idea that, you know, I was I was saying that, well, the law wasn't established yet. So it wasn't it, it could be looked at as not necessarily being wrong. But you brought up the, a good point about uh, Cain and Abel and that mm -hmm. the law wasn't established and there was no law that said murder uh, was wrong before Cain killed Abel. But we still know that it was wrong mm -hmm. and that God judged him for it. Um, so the ethical issue of incest pre-law pre um, comes up with this with this position. How, how do you think we should... What are helpful ways to navigate through that? I know there's no like one answer that that solves it, but what are some things to keep keep in mind while thinking through that? Well, I think um, there there are going to be problems, I think, with any view that that one takes. Uh, but since Adam and Eve are given the the command to populate the earth, and we're starting from scratch. I think that this is a, a very unique situation within the history of humanity in which God, in order to do this, um, permitted that. Uh, one, one thing else that I would say is that if, if that is the case, then not only do we have to look at it from the perspective of, of that time, but you have to also remember that the, the Pentateuch is being read by Jews who are familiar with the law. And so they themselves would probably raise some of those same considerations. Though, as again, as I said, as you read the text, the text itself does not give any sense of um, necessity to explain how this corresponds with what will later come with respect to the specific prohibitions against um, certain kinds of sexual relations. So I, I would have to say that I do not have to my own satisfaction a, a full explanation of, of that, but I think, at least for the time being, that is you know, what I see as the most plausible answer. Mm -hmm. When, when we're confronted uh, by these questions and challenges uh, as believers, and they're kind of given to us as a way to poke holes in our faith, what are some strategies that you think we should have for these questions for passages that are, uh, that are complicated, complex? Uh, I think Glenn Archer has a, a book that uh, is titled... Uh, the encyclopedia of pro is it problematic passages you know what you know what book i'm talking about i have i have it on my bookshelf somewhere um but he t he talks about these passages i was trying to use his title because i thought it, it fits this uh it sounds like it fits i'm not i'm not familiar with that particular work but it sure sounds like it fits yeah. um i think it's gleason archer is his name but oh, yeah gleason, gleason archer yes yeah. he used to be a trinity yeah, yeah. so um he has a book, and I think his title kind of sums up the questions that these are. Uh, but I can't think of it right now. But um, 
when we're confronted with these 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 questions, what are some strategies that you think we should uh, use? Well, I think one thing that we need to do is to admit when there are some things that are on on the surface problematic and to acknowledge that there are things that we don't fully understand uh, we can give our best and that's what i was trying to do give our best understanding of it but to say you know there are some things that are beyond my knowledge uh, concerning the exact answer of that and acknowledge some of the internal problems that may arise with a particular view, such as, in this case, well, what do we do about the issue of incest, particularly in light of what comes later in the the law? But I also think it's necessary to ask questions of people. And um, I think that a lot of times what people will want to do is they'll want to focus on particular uh, issues, as you said, to poke holes in the, the Christian faith. But I still think we need to challenge people with the the questions about what view of reality makes the most sense of life as we live it. So, for example, um, one of the things that has interested me is, uh, like you've talked about how it is that some in the Black community point to how Christianity has been used to justify slavery. And that is certainly an apologetic issue that needs to be, be answered. Um, What has interested me is seeing a number of uh, young Blacks going over to basically enlightenment, rationalism, and atheism, not realizing that um, that has a particular cultural context as well, and a tradition that is Eurocentric, and has not always been favorable to Blacks either. So... And, and I think that there is a problem with just naturalism as a philosophy on many, many grounds. And so where people want to talk about issues of um, reasoning and justice and ethics, all of which are very important, I think we need to push back a little and say, okay, how is it that your view of reality actually make sense of these things that we both say the ability to reason and draw rational conclusions the ability to make ethical judgments uh, the ability to appreciate beauty how is it which worldview actually makes the most sense of what it is that we both value and I would make the point that Christianity is superior in that regard. When we talk about uh, justice and like you're talking about kind of leaving Christianity because of this idea of it's oppressive, especially to African-Americans, I think a lot of times and what I'm seeing in conversation is the inconsistency of the argument when it comes to justice uh, yeah. because it is a demanding of justice and also a a this need to hold on to the idea that truth is kind of relative and mm-hmm. it's your truth and my truth and not seeing the tension between the two that justice can exist 
if everybody is that gets to dictate what is true to them. And so it's it's, it's been interesting. Um, I'm I'm sure you see it all the time. Yeah, I mean, if if there is no grounding for moral values in an objective sense, there there is no um, objective goodness. Then, as you pointed out, there is no justice. There's only thing that there is is uh, a variety of personal likes and dislikes. But to say that anything is actually unjust doesn't make any sense. And and so you're right that there is a, a great inconsistency where someone on one hand is going to uh, say, well, truth is relative, but then on the other hand, uh, express moral indignation at what I would say are actual injustices but I, it makes sense for me to say that there is such thing as actual injustice because I believe that there is a, a just one whose being and character is the foundation for absolute and objective justice. So you're, you're very right. There is a, an inconsistency there. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I guess that kind of brings us full circle to the conversation because, uh, God is advocating for justice on Abel's behalf mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in the game, but it comes pre-law. So it's mm-hmm. this idea that justice has always been on earth, an idea, a God idea before even the law was presented. Yes. Um, so that's that's interesting that we can kind of full circle with that concept and idea. Um, and I, I thank you for giving me, thinking, helping me think through that uh, before we, we went uh, before we hit record, because I think I never thought through the, that concept in thinking the, how problematic it is to say, just to throw out the argument, well, the law hadn't said that incest was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no law to, to, to say that incest was wrong. Um, so that means that it was okay, uh, pre-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you pointed out the flaws in that argument. Well, God may have allowed that to happen it still is problematic for us to just say hey this is this is the argument in case closed yeah (laughs) then then there's going to be another there's always going to be questions no matter what you what defense you give they they can be a series of questions and and you know what going back i was just thinking about um what you what you asked before and i didn't i didn't respond as as i think i should have at least by omitting this We've got to take things back to who is Jesus? Because uh, admittedly, there are numerous questions that can be raised about particular issues of the text. But in terms of the gospel, the issue has to be, who is this one who made these claims about himself and made these claims about our eternal destiny hinging upon how we respond to him? Though we have to address those, you know, particular issues that arise, I think we also want to get someone back to rethink the claims of of Jesus Christ. And um, that's not to evade or avoid the other issues, but it is to say, you know what, that is something worth considering. But there's something that is even more important to consider, 
And that is the identity of this one who made these very uh, astounding claims. Uh, you mentioned something that I meant to ask you about, dig deeper into. You talked about a third view in which people suggest. So the first view was that um, Cain had, Cain, that Adam and Eve had other other uh, other children besides Cain and Abel. The second mm -hmm. was that uh, Cain uh, had incest, I mean, had a sexual uh, encounter with his mother. Um, which, which I, I think is really problematic. Yeah, I've never heard that one before. That was the first time I heard that one. Because uh, she is said to be his wife. And so that would be, be problematic. Mm -hmm. um, but the third one, you were, I'm sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. And then the third one. <laughs> the third one um, was um, the idea that there was another people group. Where does that whole concept can you just talk about that a little bit and what the research is on on that and, and kind of where that came from? Well, that comes from things within the text that, you know, for example, the question of uh, of whom was Cain afraid when um, when he, after he kills Abel, he's, he's concerned that someone will take vengeance on him. And so some have postulated that there is there is another population that actually we have a much larger population than what we might initially think. And on, on these three views, I'm relying on the work of um, uh, a man named David Lamb. He's an Old Testament uh, scholar. He wrote a book called Prostitutes and Polygamists, or Polygamists and Prostitutes. I, I forget which one comes first. But he also wrote a book called God behaving badly, in which he deals with some of the ethical uh, objections and questions that are raised about God in the Old Testament. But in the in the book about sexual ethics, the second one that he wrote, he he does briefly he does some uh, discussion of of that. I would um, also recommend you know a, a good um, a, a good commentary on Genesis, and there are. There are several that could be read, but concerning Adam and Eve and human origins and so forth, one one book that I would recommend is one by a, a man named C. Jack Collins, and it's called Did Adam and Eve Really Exist and Does It Matter? Uh, because though he's not focusing particularly on this, he is making a case for the historicity of Adam and Eve, which is uh, especially with the rise of theistic evolution, um, there, is, there are some who would even identify as Christians who would say, um, well, it's not necessary to believe that they were historical figures from which the, the human population arose. So um, some of that is related to that, that discussion. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. What would be any other books you would recommend on the, on the topic? Um, or just apologetics resources in general to help us think through different different questions that we might uh, deal with. Well, apologetics resources that I would recommend that isn't really dealing with giving you particular answers to questions, but I think a very helpful resource in terms of engaging in conversation. Um, I know, and I listen to with uh, with great interest uh, your 
your conversation with uh, Melinda and Amy from Stand to Reason. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Greg Kokel uh, with Stand to Reason, his book, Tactics, uh, Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions, I think is very helpful. Um, another book that uh, deals with questions, because I, I think asking questions is really, really helpful, uh, is one by Randy Newman called Questioning Evangelism. Making use of questions in terms of engaging people in spiritual conversations. Uh, there is a recent book, which I have not gotten into, uh, and I don't have it here, but it's published by IVP, and it's uh, a book, it's like an encyclopedia dealing with issues of Christianity and science. And there are a number of uh, articles in there that have to do with questions of human origins, though I would, I think, from the reviews that I have read and just browsing through the book, um, it is much more oriented towards uh, maybe in some respects a, a, a theistic evolution position or leaning in that direction. But there are some issues in there that I think are helpful for dealing with questions about origins. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's that's extremely helpful. How can people get in touch with you um, on social media? Or is, do you have a blog as well? You know, I, I do have a blog that's up, but it's defunct. Um, I used to blog, and then I just uh, stopped. But the best way to get me through social media is um, at Christian Mind, but it's X-I-A-N-M-I-N-D on Twitter. And I just want to say that's not self-referential. The name of my blog used to be The Christian Mind, but it's named after a book that was really, really influential on me by uh, a man named Harry Blamires years ago called The Christian Mind, in which he was dealing with the distinctives of a, a Christian orientation towards reality. And that was such an impact on me. I... Um, I took it. So now I can let people know that I'm not saying that I am the Christian mind, uh, but this is a, an, an honor to a book that was very helpful to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Plummer. I really appreciate it. And I think you've given us a lot to think about and a lot, uh, some resources that'll be helpful for navigating these questions and, and other questions that may arise in engaging people um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure and I wish you the best in your continued ministry. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged 
in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.